Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. (laughs) Our sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our U.S. listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible, the destination for audiobooks and podcasts, when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated and catch up on all of your reading today. That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbookspod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening! This is the Fantastic Books Podcast. The fantasy and sci-fi book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most loved fantasy series as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Anna and Sam. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And this week... We're hanging out again with Robin Jeffries, author of .exe. Do you call your book .exe or do you call it .exe? Yep, that's exactly okay. right. I didn't know if it was like execution or nope, something else. Nope, I call else. it .exe. You got it perfectly. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be covering chapters five through nine. We left off on a big cliffhanger last time about Felix's announcement. He called everyone into dinner and we made some wild, wild accusations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there definitely was some weird guesswork on our end. I mean, there was just so much that was introduced to us with that first section of chapters that it really left a lot open for interpretation. But man, does uh, the plot really go off the rails in these set of chapters? (laughs) So I think, were you sort of correct in your predictions? And I was vaguely, like lightly correct (laughs) there is no baby no but i I think i had said that they were getting married though i think was part of my prediction yes Yes. that was about all i was correct on yep you were definitely accurate with that (laughs) um i think i had suspicions that there had to do something with chance and potential with his future with the business with his dad Mm -hmm. you did say that yeah you said he was gonna get like cut off i don't know if you said specifically inheritance but like he wasn't gonna end become head of the company anymore Mm. so you've definitely peppered in stuff with like in these chapters chance getting threatened to have his inheritance taken away and then there was mention of a will a couple of times but we don't have all of the answers on that front just yet yes not quite no (laughs) as an aside with this whole set of chapters i am loving all the nods to classic mystery novels There's a lot of stuff that I made like annotation and notes on that we'll be going over. But even just the classic themes of the dinner party, the executive will, the doctor, which Uh I can't wait to go over for Dr. Merton. (laughs) Because I feel like every mystery needs to have the doctor just to be able to say, he's dead. (laughs) Exactly, right? You need that authoritative person to be like, no, he's gone. (laughs) Yeah. The, the wrist grab and then yeah. he's dead. Yeah, because no one else can take a pulse, right? No. Right, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I, I love the addition of the doctor. So I think at this point now in chapter five, we've gotten like the whole cast of characters has been developed and introduced. And I have lots of questions and thoughts about every single person in this group, I think. <laughs> but do you want to go sort of in order as to what's happening? Yeah. So as everyone goes inside for dinner, Chance pulls his father's side and tries to ask what the announcement is, but gets completely brushed off by his dad. Throughout this set of chapters, Chance just gets really grumpy so many times over and over again. Like, he has a terrible attitude. I feel like that's just, that should be like the first set of chapters is just Chance and his bad attitude. Like, yes. it, re- it really is. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't get your way. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because like, he has a bad attitude about really small things. And then when his dad is murdered at the end of these sets of chapters, he has a very different attitude. So he's, I think he just feels sorry for himself all the time. When actual bad things happen, he just kind of doesn't know what to do. Yeah, it's all about how it impacts him. And then when something really, really bad happens, he like can't even compute how things have changed for him because it's too big. Mm. He must have been really fun to write from his perspective, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so he gets completely brushed off. He's like brooding at the table now. Out of curiosity, how old is Chance? I pictured early early 20s he's a little bit older than that he's actually like 26 27 here okay um, but oh. very much he he acts like he's just out of college and that's kind of <laughs> where I wanted him was like he's like that person who never grew up past graduation you know what I mean where it's like he just perpetually acts like yeah college was just yesterday and it's like dude no like it's been a while <laughs> it's yeah you are way too old to be acting like this it's been a half a decade bro Step yeah up. it's time to be an adult <laughs> but he's just stuck in that new adult mindset and it's like no dude we're all going past you now it's time to step up yeah definitely okay yeah i think that puts it a little bit in perspective too because i think at one point he says desdemona is younger than him or around the same age so i was trying to like gauge mm-hmm. how old everyone was but yeah, he's pouting, and then Dr. Merton arrives late to the party, and as Sam said, you have to have a doctor in a murder mystery. <laughs> Which I think you said you have to have the doctor to confirm that someone's dead, and I said, well, you have to have the doctor to tell you how long they've been dead for. Yeah. Which is always in murder mysteries. Yes, yeah. And then we went down a whole, like, rabbit hole of, like, Well, you, you explained, like, rigor mortis to me, which I didn't under apparently understand before. <laughs> <laughs> so... Oh, the joys of having a medical background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All kind of fun stuff that your your weird human body does. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I learned a lot. Um, <laughs> so he's introduced. He's a very fidgety, fidgety, awkward. sort of unkempt. He doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of this like high class group that he's with. And I don't know why he is the way he is. Like, are those just his character traits or is he nervous about something or I don't know he's like constantly like shifting around he had like a coughing fit and I'm a little suspicious of him but I don't want to point I don't know I, I like I keep pointing my finger in every direction every time <laughs> we meet a new character like a someone new- <laughs> could sneeze you're like it's a clue <laughs> <laughs> everything is suspicious <laughs> I will say with Dr. Merton I like that he's coming off as the bumbly, unconfident, nerdy kind of doctor rather than the polished, overly confident, know-it-all kind of doctor. Mm-hmm. 
I think it adds a little to the dichotomy structure with this group of people because you already have a lot of personality types that are really overbearing and my way or the highway. So I think his personality type balances that out a bit. Yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, it's nice to have somebody who's a little more malleable, potentially, when you have all those super strong people around him who have very definite ideas and you need someone who can get pushed around a little bit. <laughs> and I have a feeling he might get pushed around. I mean, I think even in the first couple of sentences, like Chance introduces him and then Dr. Martin is talking to Minerva, Henry's mom, mm-hmm. and she has really weird ways of interacting with people. I, yeah. I was surprised by her because the way she's described in the first episode we did where Henry's very doting upon her and I think her husband is described as very like faithful and like good to her and she's not coming off as the nicest person yeah (laughs) so I was really surprised by her thought she was going to be like this kindly mother but she's kind of snarky and bad things are happening around her and she's kind of smiling a lot about these unfortunate events Yeah, she's got some really weird reactions to things. (laughs) Yeah, Minerva's got a bit of an edge to her that I think really comes out in this set of chapters where you're like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that from somebody who who other people relate to in the way that they seem to. Yeah, there's something going on with her for sure. Oh, yeah. I Like, at the end, I will list all my predictions because she is in my personal crosshairs right now. But it's funny because it's like even when Dr. Merton confronts her in the beginning of this chapter and questions why she's drinking alcohol and she's kind of just dismisses any medical advice saying, you know, that's the whole point. And she just keeps drinking and having a good time. Yeah. I like that you set up a character to be revered as sort of like a mother type and then now we're meeting her she's very different so I like that this filtering we're getting of characters like we see their actions directly but we're also seeing everything through chance and then we're seeing how other characters connect to them Mm -hmm. and I like that it's not just oh Minerva has like two character traits and we kind of keep going back to them like you've made everyone so dynamic and it's hard to know like whose judgment of them I should trust because it is filtered through so many perspectives. Right. Yeah. You have like Henry's perspective of his mom, which is obviously now you, you kind of realize it's like, oh, that's a little colored from a doting yeah. son's perspective. And then you have, yeah, Chance's perspective, which is like maybe colored from perhaps not always having a mom around and what he might think a fun mom would be like. And you're like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the cool mom. Yeah, I'm the cool mom. I'm not a normal mom. I'm cool. It's like, uh, Chance, that, that actually probably wouldn't be great. Like, no, definitely not. <laughs> I think even in this first, this this whole dinner scene, she's like flirting with Chance at one point. And I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> Please don't do that. Yeah. Let's not. Let's not do that. Well, she does call him virile. That's so. what I mean. Yeah. And like Henry's like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> um, yeah. All these people have so many flaws that you've like built into them. I can see why they don't see anything wrong with themselves, but from our perspective as readers, I'm like, what are these people doing? (laughs) (laughs) So I think the big takeaway with this chapter is once they start sitting at the dinner table and politics gets brought up and like any dinner party, this will just create so much tension regardless, but really impressive foreshadowing with this where the whole conversation of animanecrons come up and who we, of course, Felix has <laughs> his heavy disdain for this, even though it's his family's legacy. Mm-hmm. 
He is so anti-Aminecron. Definitely uses a derogatory term called fraggers to describe them. Victoria is, she definitely doesn't seem like in favor of Aminecrons either. No. Cadence is just having, I think, a tough time keeping an even keel. Mm -hmm. But again, this plays back to my hypothesis or my theory that she is an Aminecron. I'm really fully on board with this hypothesis now yeah. <laughs> that we've had these chapters or at least very closely related. I don't know if she's an Animanecron or some other kind of like robot, but I'm maybe like the next generation of it. Or yeah. Something. something going on with that. Cause she gets dragged into this conversation and there's this philosophical debate going on kind of in tandem with the political discussion about what is a life form and like intelligence and personhood and how can they define that? Because there's, one planet or location, I think it's called Char Charkornak. Correct. Charkornak. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> I'm trying to remember all the like places and people um, attacked a place called Wiston. Mm-hmm. Whitson or Wiston? Wiston. Wiston. You got it. Oh, perfect. Where the Animanacrons all live. And Henry says they were sort of like forced there mm-hmm. out of human society. So there's erasure of the Animanacrons, which is like a problem obviously if you yeah. see them as people um so like it gets really complicated and felix is getting mad and cadence doesn't see that she's just sort of barreling into his anger thankfully solomon eventually breaks the tension and says like oh well it all depends on how you define personhood and like laughs and they move on but it was definitely a tough moment for all the characters and then i don't know what was going on in our world when you wrote this, but like right now AI and artificially intelligence created artwork and literature is such a huge topic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you were like just catching that as you were writing or if you were happened to like bring it up before it became really popular in the news. So the fun thing is I actually wrote this first book right when I was out of college. So not to date myself, but um, that was about 12 years ago. <laughs> is when I wrote my first draft of this. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was definitely not in the news at that point. No, I was just really fascinated with questions about artificial intelligence in general. Um, Like I said, in the previous episode, I wrote my college thesis on fembots. Um, So I really love the idea of gender being performative and personality in general being performative and carrying that thought forward. Humanity itself being performative, you know, like we were all just kind of putting on this argumentatively we're putting on this human mask you know we're we're pretending that this means something and that there's a soul in here and what does that mean if that's true does that mean that we could create something in our image that would go on to likewise pretend that and pass all of our tests that say yeah I'm a person it's like okay then what do we do with that how do we move forward from that it's a really interesting question I agree I love that This story is allowing us to think more on larger issues as well, because it's great to have an entertaining story. But when there's themes and ideas in a book that you can relate to life or even just consider after the fact, I think that really is such a success and that really makes it that much more enjoyable. I agree. Yeah, I think obviously there's this whole part with like, what are humans versus robots versus machines and like what defines humanity, which I think is a fascinating question. I have an anthropology background, so I'm like super interested in that. (laughs) Um, But then there's also all these issues of like class and Felix keeps bringing up like off-worlders, which is clearly like 
related to immigration and Mm. what we would consider like foreigners here. So there's a lot of like political things going on because you have situated this in a high society little bubble and their perspective of the world is obviously very different from an average person who's not this privileged and wealthy. So I like that we're getting again like the story is is one thing but there's all these like undercurrents of things that relate to our own personal lives all the time yeah absolutely Uh, so it feels very rich yeah thank you thankfully they get their their own conversation gets cut off because it was getting really tense in there for a minute with everybody and that brings us to the big announcement that felix invited everybody for which is that he's gonna marry desdemona and i love the fact that he proclaims their betrothal, if you will, with a <laughs> like a grand ornate necklace mm-hmm. rather than a traditional like engagement ring. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I love the fact that the necklace is something that's well known. The Negrescu necklace. I feel like that is prime mystery where it's always like a heist of like a well-known gem or relic. And it would just, oh, I immediately got excited. I was yes. like, okay. Yeah. And Victoria right out of the bat was like, it's cursed. I'm like, ah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which like, of course she brings up because I think she's jealous yeah. that mm-hmm. she wants a necklace. So she's like, yours is cursed. Um, <laughs> and then Henry being Indiana Jones in this moment yes. is like, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> so I loved that. <laughs> to be honest, I thought of you when he <laughs> says that line. I was like, you would, you would appreciate that. <laughs> I did. I loved it. <laughs> Because Indiana Jones isn't really seen as like a mystery genre. Like it's definitely action based, but I feel like a lot of his stuff is sort of like find the artifact, sort of like heisty sometimes. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So I think it totally like it worked there. Uh, And then you have like some later references to Sherlock Holmes and Poirot that I totally appreciated. So so good. I like these little like nods you're putting in. So whereas we loved this scene, nobody in the book seemed excited. <laughs> they all sat there and it was so uncomfortable. Oh, Chance was having like the biggest poopy diaper. About <laughs> he was so upset. So like you had this great description. I'm just going to read where Felix announces and then this is what happens. So Chance says, I groped for the edge of the table and looked over to Henry, who was doing the same, his mouth hanging open. Solomon clutched at his glass and Minerva held a steadying hand to her chest. Belinda and Dr. Merton, in a rare moment of camaraderie, shared a disbelieving stare from the corners of their eyes, and Victoria looked, as she often did when she was jealous, thoroughly disgusted. (laughs) So I love how you captured every single person in a couple of sentences, and like, the reactions are wide and varied, but you could tell no one is on board with this situation. (laughs) Yeah. I think they're all just shocked, too, because they've only been together for, like, three months. Yeah, and he said they're getting married at the end of the month. This now raises lots of suspicion. Fast-paced whirlwind romance. Yeah, especially to, like, a billionaire or quadrillionaire, whatever kind of money they have in this system. But, mm-hmm. like, uber wealthy. We don't know much about Desdemona's background or where she came from or how she met Felix, but I'm sure... A lot of people think gold digger intentions, obviously. Yeah, like, that she just wants him for his money, so... There's like an awkward moment and then eventually Cadence is the only person who claps. And yeah. <laughs> Good job. Congratulations. Um, which I think is funny because then Felix is still like anti-Cadence, but I'm like, she's the only person that like kind of congratulated you in this moment. Yeah. Like stepped up and was like, oh, yay. Good for you. <laughs> right. Like maybe the people you're calling your friends and family aren't very good for you. Yeah. And then 
you're really good at like leaving intriguing moments at the end of every chapter. Belinda's like, I'm going to go leave and make my special cider. And I immediately was like, there's something wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not even about the fact that it was quote unquote special cider, but like a huge reveal gets dropped and she's like, I'm leaving for no particular reason. Excuse (laughs) me. I have to go right now. Right now. It's very important. (laughs) We've literally had kitchen staff preparing stuff for us for this entire day, making food and beverages. But now I have to go make a special cider. I have to go at this exact moment to do this exact thing. Don't worry about it. That's fine. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Just just carry on. Go about your business. poison for Cusco. Cusco's poison. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally where my head's at. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how chapter five ended. Belinda looks sketchy by like running off immediately whether or not she is making cider. But yeah, just the fact that the announcement got dropped and everyone was kind of like, it's hard to like point to blame now because nobody seems happy in this whole household. No. Meaning everyone has a reason to intercede. Exactly. So chapter six, everyone finishes their dinner and they go to the sitting room. And then this was a big old mistake. On the way, Felix tells Desdemona to take the necklace off and put it in his study. And he should not have done that because then it gets stolen. Which I wasn't expecting, actually, because I was really hyper fixated on the fact that this was a murder mystery. And it's so typical in mysteries to have more than one crime going on Mm -hmm. or related crimes so i don't know why in my mind i I wasn't prepared for the theft of the necklace but it folded in so well so (laughs) i'm still trying to decide if there were like one thief slash murder or if it's two separate occasions or two separate events or people working in tandem but it really like upped the ante when the necklace got stolen yes and there's a great line that you drop in as everyone's making their way into like the sitting room The rest of us continue to cross the entryway and into the sitting room, spreading around the various couches and tables like melting butter over a pan. Like, ah, it just, you can just feel it. It's so good. (laughs) I just feel like they're just so, like, droopy and, like, lazy. Yeah. I ate too much. (laughs) My life is so hard. (laughs) It's so hard being this wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I think throughout, you put in a lot of descriptions like that that are, like, really they're pretty short like you don't have to build up this elaborate metaphor in your writing but I can see exactly what is going on in your mind's eye as a reader and it paints a really crisp picture so I like your use of metaphor and simile quite a bit and they all felt very original Mm. I don't think there was one that I read that I was like oh I've heard that before so just as a reader I really appreciated that and then we get (laughs) the horrible argument (laughs) whoo wee you have to have like a blowout fight with yeah. someone before they get off in a murder mystery just right? yeah. so that everyone is suspicious. You need shock, outrage, intrigue. But <laughs> yeah, this was hooey. In this moment, I actually started to sympathize a wee bit for Chance because you can see where this all built up. Mm-hmm. And so he obviously displays his displeasure for his dad proposing to Desdemona and them getting married so quickly coming up. And man, does Felix clap back with such a good line. This might be too much for someone who treats their bed like a train station to understand. Like What a burn. What a burn. (laughs) He knows his son, you know? Yeah. He definitely does. And it's weird because Chance seems like he tries to keep his life private, but I think he's just pretty lazy about covering up his activities. Mm -hmm. 
later when the inspector comes in and he's like oh i've met you before and it was for some public drunkenness and like being rowdy and like he's just not he's just not tidy in his actions like i think he thinks he's so suave but he's a hot mess yes (laughs) yes like in his mind he's like that didn't happen nobody knows about it and like everyone clearly saw it everyone sees it yeah yeah he thinks he's james bond but really he's like absolutely not (laughs) he thinks he's james bond but he's mr b yes yes (laughs) but you know this fight that they have really escalates and i think there is a little nugget of truth within this though where at one point felix does says is all you do is take chance i'm done i'm cutting you off and he accuses chance of giving up that you encountered hardship And you just gave up where at one point Chance probably did care a lot about his family's approval and rising to the occasion. Maybe he didn't get enough positive reinforcement, but he definitely came down with a case of it was your dream, dad, not mine. And thus began like the teen (laughs) angst of like rebellion for Mm -hmm. the rest of his adulthood. Yeah. Within that argument, I was kind of like, all right, maybe he wasn't always like a jerk. There was definitely a build. Yeah, it seems like there was a build and then the argument concludes with Chance saying that Desdemona won't fill this like void left in their family by his mother's passing. So they're both, I think, hitting really below the belt against each other. But these are really true statements. So I think the relationship he had with his dad, where his dad is saying, you know, you didn't live up to my expectations, but also he does not have a mom, I think just messed Chance up and he just has not recovered and it never will i don't think unfortunately yeah Yeah. and i I love those kind of arguments in dramas or melodramas or in fiction in general where it's like people are saying horrible things that you like you're like i would never say that to anybody but they're true things like they need to be said and sometimes the truest things that need to be said are things that nobody should ever say out loud yeah it's like like, really (laughs) really harsh truths yeah and so i really wanted that moment here in this chapter where it's like they're both saying things that the other one should already know but they shouldn't hear it from each other yeah it's like the worst person to hear it from yeah yeah like maybe you should have just looked introspectively and figured it out about yourself and not have somebody yelling it in your face yeah especially too because you get the opposite reaction then well i think that's true yeah like the dad says like all you do is take and I think in those moments, especially someone like Chance, he's just going to like dig his heels in and be stubborn. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than he's take gonna, that and grow. <laughs> right. He's not going to go, oh, I'm so sorry. I never realized. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. So he just becomes more spoiled and rotten, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. <laughs> from this argument. But his dad does actually hit him in the face, which I think is something that's wildly inappropriate in this middle of this inappropriate conversation and argument that they're having because these are adults and they should be better than this yeah absolutely they're not (laughs) their emotions are running really high but uh, i loved this line too like after that moment so like again chance being really stubborn he says blood pooled in the bottom of my mouth but i didn't dare spit it out in front of him i thought i would choke on it so just like not wanting to show a sign of weakness yeah like that bitter spite yeah He's really running on a lot of spite. Yes. Yes. It's a good fuel source. (laughs) It's really powering him. (laughs) So yeah, this argument was awesome. I think it was such a pivotal part of the plot because it revealed so much in a really quick amount of time. And I was really impressed with your dialogue. I think dialogue is something that's really tough to do. 
So I don't know if you have a particular approach to how you do dialogue, but it felt very natural. Yeah, actually, um, thank you so much for saying that. I, I really love dialogue. It's actually my favorite part to write. Whoa. And so oftentimes my approach to dialogue is I'll write out whole scenes, entire chapters sometimes, dialogue first, just dialogue. I just hear people in my head talking. And so I'll just write all the dialogue out first, and then I have to go back and fill in action, body movements and scene description and all that kind of stuff in between, which is really hard for me, actually. Um, wow. I struggle. That's fascinating. I love that. Yeah, I struggle with description so much. But dialogue comes, not to not to like brag about it, but you know, dialogue <laughs> tends to come pretty easy to me most of the time. And I'm not sure if that's because I have a I have a background in theater, so a lot of my early readings were like plays and things where I mean, of course that's like scripts, that's all dialogue. Yeah. So I I tend to have a pretty solid feel for a character's literal voice before anything else. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I think the theater background would definitely help. I'm just it's probably also just like if dialogue is the part that comes naturally to you, like it really seems like it works well the way you've built your story because the dialogue is really pivotal in this. Mm -hmm. And it's it's helping because you don't have to give a lot of like side exposition. Like when the politics came up, like I figured out what was going on really quickly, even though they're talking about like places and people that we don't know. So yeah, I think it felt really, really realistic. And I like that each character feels like a very different voice that I can completely differentiate all of them when I'm reading through it. It's not like, oh, this is Robin writing as this character and this is Robin writing as this character. Right, like, yeah. Each person is so distinct. Yeah, they have their own identity. It's awesome. I really like it. So. Oh, yeah, this whole part, actually. This is like, oh, I don't know if this is a red herring or what, but first, obviously, everyone rejoins the party. Belinda comes back with her sketchy cider and Felix <laughs> drinks it. He's and the he's the only one that drinks it. But everyone says it's gross. So is it just a gross cider? Gross in appearance? Gross with smell? Well, I meant like, is he sick because it's just she's not a good cook? And <laughs> because made something... she like food poisoned him? or Yeah. Or like, is there poison poison in there? I think at this stage of the game, now that we know he's deceased, grizzly deceased, I don't think it was poison per se but definitely just a gross potion that she made and <laughs> it just wrecked his stomach <laughs> oh it's so hard to f i want to say yes to that but also i don't know because she left so quickly after the announcement it you could argue she was so excited to run off and help but like if this is a red herring it's a very good one because i'm very very conflicted about belinda's motives yeah right Either way, Felix gets really sick. Whether or not it's intentional is confusing to us as the readers. <laughs> and then Henry's almost impeccable, pristine reputation gets faltered a bit here, where he asks Chance if he thinks Felix might sell the Negrescu necklace to him. I was like, what human being would do that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what is happening here? Where, oh, you're not mom that you hate just got engaged. Do you think your dad will sell the necklace? Like I know it's a, it's in a way it's a, I don't know if it's a right term for it, like a cultural artifact, but like a well-known treasure or piece of jewelry. Like an heirloom. Heirloom. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So it's just like, Henry, what's going on? <laughs> Read the room, man. Like now yeah. is not the time. I think this was the first time within the plot that all of a sudden I, I have a little side eye towards Henry yeah, no I don't real know. suspicions 
but I just, I, I got my eye on him now. Mm. I understand saying, like, it does belong in a museum, but at the same point, like, Felix is clearly not going to sell it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, why try You've at this point? You've known this man for decades. Don't even ask about this. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're going to ask, not right now. Yeah. Do not ask in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as he's asking that, poor Cadence, so I feel like she's just kind of, like, tossed into the lion's den sometimes because Chance is not paying attention to her. People, I guess, have been gossiping that Chance and Victoria are going to get married. So Cadence is trying to figure out, like, what's going on with their relationship. I like that it's from a perspective of genuine curiosity, not that there's any romance intended with the mindset. It's only just like, I have reported that people are saying this. Is this factual? And he's like, uh, um, uh, uh. Uh, uh, well. You know, he's just like at a loss for words. Yeah, I think she's there to gather information potentially about the Hales because of their relationship with their company making Anima Necron. So I think that's what she's up to now is just spying upon them. It was obviously like fortuitous that she came across Chance and he invited her over, but it seems like she's collecting information and every time she like taps on her hand or like, I think at one point she like taps on her collarbone. I don't know what she's up to, but it seems strange. <laughs> what did I say when we were reading the other day? Oh, you- she's texting. <laughs> <laughs> you did say that. Beep, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> She's T nining, you know, like yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Two 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 three two two. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think she's collecting information on the Hales, and I don't know if she's interested in like who's going to be taking over the company, and that's why she's interested in Chance, or if she's just collecting as much information as she can. I know you told me last time because I said Cadence doesn't have any motives. So now I'm looking to figure out what she's doing because why, why is she there? Yeah. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> I feel bad though. Cause Chance totally ignores her a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Cause it's all about him. This yeah, is it's his all about show Chance. and we're just all in it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> this kind of all happens at once at the end of the chapter. So like they're talking and then they get interrupted by Felix getting sick. And then Dr. Merton gets them all to take him upstairs. And he's like, oh, it's just a 24-hour flu. I think it's Victoria who says he seemed fine earlier and didn't seem sick at all, which is when I started to get more suspicious about the cider and whatever's going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) There's a great line, too, where as Felix is getting sick, you write, we clustered around the man's racked form, the ladies with their hands at their mouths, the men with their hands at the ready. And I think that's such a great visceral line of something that a lot of people do when they're unsure how to help. And especially working in the medical field when there's like, quote, quote, bystanders there. Mm-hmm. People want to help. But they're like, um, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, like, where do I go? What do I do? Where should I be? Right, like, yeah. What do, how can I help? Yeah. And then the rest of us just stand there like staring. Like we don't know what to do at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so it was just... Nice writing. I enjoy it. <laughs> and then at the end of this chapter, this might be me totally reading way too into things, but one, Dr. Merton comes out of Felix's room and is surprised when everyone is standing outside waiting for an update. And he's like, oh, what's everyone doing here? Yeah, it's um, like, why wouldn't they be like, hey? <laughs> <laughs> we all helped you carry him upstairs and he's super sick. Um, so Dr. Merton either just has really weird mannerisms or... A lot of social anxiety, maybe. Maybe. Definitely a possibility. Or he's up to something, I think, unrelated to the theft and the murder. But he seems like he's 
He's like the odd man out of this group right Mm -hmm. now. And then he tells Chance to let him know if he hears anything in the night. But Chance says, that's a good idea. Like he says this internally, but I sleep like the dead, which is total foreshadow because that's why he didn't hear the murder, even (laughs) though his dad's room and his room are next to each other. So I liked that that was slipped in there. And then he tries to flirt with Cadence and she totally rejects him. And she's like, good night. Bye. Okay, bye. bye. (laughs) Yep. Not interested. Thank you. (laughs) I got to text my friends. (laughs) 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 And then chapter seven, you totally surprised me because Felix is alive the next day. And I thought for sure he was going to die. Yeah, I was waiting for it. So I was like, oh, man, I was wrong. Felix is going to be the murder victim. He's going to die in the night. Chance isn't going to hear him. And then he popped back out the next morning at breakfast. <laughs> so then I wasn't sure who was going to get murdered. It did end up being him, obviously. But it I went I went like toes. this, like all up and down with my yeah. <laughs> expectations of what everyone was up to. It was the, you do, you don't, you do, you don't. Yeah, it totally was. <laughs> so everyone's at breakfast and Victoria asks Desdemona if she can see the necklace again. I don't think Victoria took it. I think she's just genuinely like kind of jealous and wants to see the necklace for like the the lavishness yeah just interested in it so desdemona goes off henry makes some insinuations that cadence is still sleeping in because of whatever she and chance got up to in the night which was nothing but <laughs> which is absolutely nothing <laughs> and he was like yeah sure buddy he's like no really he's like yeah that's what they all say <laughs> he's like, just like no, no really <laughs> no like genuinely for once no he struck out <laughs> <laughs> So, but it made Felix and Victoria look very annoyed with him, unsurprisingly. (laughs) And then when Desdemona comes back, she gives Victoria the necklace case and she opens it up and dun dun dun, it's It's empty. I think I audibly shouted, I knew it. (laughs) You definitely did. (laughs) When we found out it was empty. (laughs) Obviously, everyone's shocked. Felix is the most angry, I think, of everyone. I don't know if we see Desdemona's reaction, but like people are just kind of flustered. Like Henry's like, no, it's impossible. No one could have taken it, which that's not impossible. Somebody did take it. Henry, <laughs> clearly it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of those like empty things you say when you don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. Was my impression of what everyone was uh, doing there. But then Felix calls the EO, the enforcement officers, and Cadence gets very nervous about this. She does yes. not seem to want them to come there my current prediction is that because we're riding this theory that cadence is an anima necron i think she has escaped where the anima necrons are supposed to be even though i know henry said they are technically allowed to leave it seems like they're not really welcome so i think she's worried about getting caught and sent back Mm. but also if she's there as a spy for some reason then she obviously wouldn't want to get caught for spying either It was interesting that she was nervous, but then when the inspector arrives, she's very cooperative and pleasant with him. And I think she's trying to throw suspicion off of herself. Oh, yeah. She's way too casual with that scene. (laughs) She has not been very personal. And then all of a sudden, Oliver uh, Bribois? Yeah, Bribois. Oh, I'm so glad. Because when we were first reading, we we're like Briz Boys, and I'm like, that can't be it. <laughs> no, it's my little my little French name in there just for flavor. No, you need the the investigator. You need your like secondary Poirot, someone in there to interrogate and just figure out what's going down. 
but nobody thinks he's very good. Oh, they're all dismissing him. Yes. Like they called him and then Felix is like, well, they're not very good anyway. And Chance <laughs> makes fun of them a bunch. Like he's trying to put together timetables when he gets there. And Felix is like, what are you doing asking about all of this? Why would you go find the thief? So he's like super unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel bad for the the investigators because these people suck. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they're being very rude. So yeah, he's trying to like figure out like, what the timetable was, why everyone's here for this party. He's very pleasant, sometimes overly pleasant, the inspector. Yeah, there's something with that. I don't know. I think he might just feel like all these people are a waste of his time. That's fair. <laughs> well, like, even the whole interaction when, between Bribois and Chance where he's like, yeah, I think you threw a bottle at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> where I feel like he is not the typical hard-boiled, you know, grudgy burnt out detective that's like out to prove himself oh i see what you mean yeah i got my eye on him too for some reason (laughs) everyone's suspicious nobody's safe trust (laughs) no one (laughs) literally (laughs) oh which is like the opposite of me in real life (laughs) (laughs) that's true as he's putting together these times tables cadence is like oh i'm not friends or family i wasn't invited to the party so i think she is trying to like throw suspicion off of herself by being personable and helpful but she's way more personal than she had been so far she's super casual with chance she like puts her hand in his pocket to take a nix out of it so she's acting like she belongs there i think Mm -hmm. and it seems to work like the inspector does like her from what i can tell even chance later on in one of the other chapters says that they got along quite well for now cadence seems safe and offers up her her room to be searched first yeah she says obviously the thief has to be one of us which everyone gets very mad about and they all kind of like look around who could it be (laughs) i love victoria's reaction to this too where she was like first you're searching our rooms if a necklace got stolen and there's only like 10 people excluding the help staff like of course your rooms are going to be searched but just for her like spoiled brat mentality of like the very idea of someone like going through my things, like it's yeah. just preposterous to her. It's just that privilege where it's like, well, yeah, of course you're going to search everybody else. But I mean, not like me, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't happen to me. It's not people like me. It's like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Even you. That is exactly <laughs> the tone I read all of Victoria's lines in as well. Like, uh, <laughs> not me. Uh, How could this happen? <laughs> are you serious? Like right now? Okay. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then again, because we're totally like honing in on Minerva, you wrote Minerva paled, but there remained a sparkle in her eye when Cadence says one of them must be the thief. Mm. I don't know if she's just like excited that there's things going on, like excited by the whole plot of the party and like the the theft and everything or if she's potentially involved but i don't know why she has different reactions from everybody else that and i feel like her being sick all the time is a front Ooh, i feel like this all these chapters we're getting on her she doesn't come off as sickly or feeble to me i got my make a good point she's been like sunbathing she's been drinking living it up i mean she might be one of those people that are a hypochondriac and always have a doctor assessing their needs but they're actually fine yeah but she didn't seem to like dr merton i don't think she would call a doctor around especially dr merton if she didn't actually 
feel like she was sick. I feel like she might like the attention though. Not from him specifically. But just in general, like from her family and Yeah, like she's not well. Oh, everyone check in on her. Like, you know, she gets gets a high off the admiration. I could see that, especially the way that Henry dotes on her. Mm-hmm. My two cents. We'll see. She perplexes me. <laughs> this is the part though where Cadence quoted both Sherlock Holmes and Poirot, and I totally loved it. Yay. And then I, yeah, I picked up it immediately and I was like, oh my God, wait, <laughs> this is Sherlock Holmes. And like one sentence later, it was Poirot. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, this is so good. <laughs> and then she says, I think in the last chapter of this section that she used to be a detective novel bookseller from like antique, which was, I think you listed 19th through 22nd century, like earth books, which cracked mm-hmm. me up. <laughs> That's how she me, knows uh, the, the lines. Yeah. Very much a Velma, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island feels. <laughs> she has the bookstore of all their adventures. Yes. <laughs> the EO is now like throughout the house. People are quite put out that they're going to be going through their things. I was surprised the EO lets them all just sort of like do whatever they want to do. They're not allowed to go to their rooms, but they like unsupervised, but they're, you know, Henry and Chance go for a walk. I think Victoria and Desdemona and Minerva go outside and like sunbathe. Like people just kind of like go about their day. Well, again, these people are very, for lack of a better term, privileged. Well, I mean, I think that is the correct term. Yeah. But anywho, anyone else normally would be like, how can we help? Where they're like, I'm going to go on a walk. I'm doing whatever. You know, you figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't this what my tax dollars pay for? Literally. (laughs) That's exactly the attitude. So, yeah, I just kind of found that funny where they're like, all right, (laughs) bye, good luck. (laughs) Yep, we'll see you later. Um, (laughs) So Henry and Chance end up going for a walk. I think it was supposed to be Chance and Victoria, but he's trying to avoid her because she sucks. (laughs) (laughs) She just seems exhausting to be around, honestly. I think they just want to have like a homies moment. Yeah, Victoria is Victoria. (laughs) So he doesn't want to spend his morning with her. One small detail you put in, is that they pass some trees that go up by Henry's windows. And at one point he says that he wished he'd climbed out onto the trees last night because it was so nice out. I think he maybe actually stole the necklace and then used those trees to ferret it off to his own home last night. So that's my theory Ooh. about that. I think he stole the necklace, but I don't think it's related. To, I don't think he knows anything about like the murder. I think it just happened to happen at the same time. <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree. I think out of most of the people there, Henry has the most probable cause to steal the necklace for altruistic reasons. He literally asked if he could buy it. I know. (laughs) I think when it comes down to it, personality-wise, I don't know if he has it in him to do it, but I might be proven wrong. I think it's the way that the writing has been structured so far is like there is so much dialogue because we have all these characters. So I think when you do put something in about like the scenery or... The house, I I think for the first few chapters, it was definitely like world building with like the like shoe cleaner robots and stuff. So you're we adding the sci-fi element. But now that we've really shifted into mystery mode, I'm just looking at every little detail as how it would relate to like, in this case, like an escape route for the thief or the killer. Yeah. Like what's the weight here? Yeah. Like, should I be really interested in this or is this just like a passing statement? It's hard to decide. (laughs) But that's what they're talking about. And then they come across Felix and Solomon. And we get 
classic murder mystery like conversation where you overhear somebody talking about their will and we come in halfway through the conversation so we miss some important details potentially chance hears his dad felix asking solomon to execute his will because he's changing it he says he's gonna like completely rewrite it and it will be ready by tomorrow morning so the timing is definitely sketchy between like his murder and the will being ready the following morning mm-hmm and then obviously, like, rewriting your will is is never something cool to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Unless you're, you you anticipate something important happening. Well, I, th- I think he's writing it because he's writing Chance out of it. But then he, he references some things that we don't know about. So right. the dialogue, all of Felix's dialogue I, like, copied into, like, all his lines here. So he says... I need to come clean about some things, Solomon. I want to be a new man when I marry Desdemona, with none of those secrets from my past lurking around me. And then he says, rewriting it completely, fresh slate. I need to know that when I do pass on, things are taken care of, that there are no questions about who I was and why I did what I did. So I don't know what the secrets from his past that are lurking about him are. I'm assuming Solomon might know because they're old friends. And the way he says it seems like something that he might be privy to it just like adds an extra element of like why he would be rewriting his will mm-hmm. yeah suspicious it's very suspicious and then meanwhile solomon asks again why felix won't support his work in proposal and this definitely puts the davers family under the microscope so i get what you're saying now with henry it could be like a whole family affair that's in on this well i think henry stole the necklace but i don't think he knows anything else about the murder like, no. I, I think it just happens to maybe be Henry's the thief and Solomon is the murderer. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Solomon definitely has motive. They all have motive. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point of this genre. So you may, yeah. they might think I did that on purpose, but I mm. will not say. I'm going to say you did. Herring, <laughs> mayhaps. And then Cadence comes up so that they don't hear the rest of the conversation she left Minerva, who was sunbathing, but also flirting with like the house staff. So, so definitely, again, I'm not getting the best impression of Minerva. Definitely seems like hopeless. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> she does seem to really like attention, though, now that you pointed out. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe that illness thing is a front. But now this chapter ends with Chance and Cadence finally being alone. And he's all excited to take a walk, just the two of them. He like kind of flip-flops sometimes about whether or not he wants to spend time with Cadence. I think he's very into her, but when she rejects his advances, I think he gets butt hurt. <laughs> to put it exactly, that way. exactly the phrase that jumped into my mind and I wrote it. So I was like, yeah, he just gets butt hurt, you know? He's just like, mm, yeah. Why don't you like me? <sighs> yes, he's so childish. Yeah. I don't want to play with you either. And it's like, yeah. Yes, you yes. Do. Because, like, later on, he's like, I'm going to ignore Cadence for the rest of the afternoon. Yeah, that'll um, show her. And it's like, she doesn't care. Dude, she doesn't care. <laughs> she's He's very petty, but in, like, a very unsophisticated way. Yes. So chapter eight is their walk. And it starts with them walking to this grove of trees that Chance used to play in as a child. Cadence is super bizarre in her <laughs> activities here. She lies face down in the grass. And our guess is that she's feeling grass for the first time in her life. She just had to take it all in. <laughs> go right in there. You had to go out and touch some grass, you know? Sometimes you got to do that. It is good for you your mental well being. But... <laughs> That's how you really get to know it. 
Yeah. So, and like Chance just kind of takes it in stride. He's like, oh, she's a little bit odd, but doesn't really like ask her what How she's fetching. doing. Yeah. <laughs> like, Chance, use your brain. Like, ask her what's going on. It's very much like in the Harry Potter series when Harry doesn't question anything going on in the wizarding world around him. And he's just like, okay okay <laughs> like that's the way it is now and it's like no like, that's how things i'm like could you just ask somebody a question like <laughs> you're the child of destiny okay <laughs> all right no okay <laughs> so because we're getting everything to, through chance and he's not very observant and not he like he just doesn't care about like anyone else's like opinions or thoughts in a way that he would have a conversation that's productive with someone. Mm-hmm. Like he just watches Cadence do whatever she's doing and he's like, "Oh, okay." And then he is totally enraptured by the end of this scene when she's being flirty with him and like that's all he thinks about. Yeah. Like, but there was a lot of other stuff in there that you didn't really pay, pay attention <laughs> to. <laughs> that was kind of important. Yeah, <laughs> so I see why you picked him as the narrator because he does really gloss over some things that I'm like, wait, 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 no, <laughs> go back to that. Wait, wait, please, yeah, go rewind, back. Rewind, rewind. <laughs> but it makes it like a perfect narrator for mystery because he is doing that. He's not mm-hmm. picking apart every word everyone's saying. He's not asking people all these important questions. He's just kind of going about his day. So yeah. He just he's frustrating sometimes. <laughs> he does have this moment too in this conversation where he's like talking to Cadence about how she was getting along well with the inspector. And he was like weirdly jealous about it. Yeah. And he's, it's like it's very on brand for him because he's a child. But but then he says, I did not find jealousy an attractive emotion in others, and I doubted it would flatter me. So he has, like, one moment of clarity where he's trying to be a little bit better. Well, I think he was also thinking back to Henry's great uh, little burn. Oh. I thought he meant, like, he would be worried that if he acted too jealous, Cadence wouldn't be into him anymore. It's definitely partially that. So, like, it's not really altruistic at all in the end. No, because then (laughs) in his own ego, he's like, I'm so self-restrained. She's bound to notice how awesome I am. Like <laughs> That was like literally side story. Once I was riding the bus, like public transit, and there was always this guy and girl every day who were together. And she looked like she was not really into talking to this guy. And literally word for word, once he said, I'm the king of humility. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, girl, you got to just get up and walk away from this man. Run. <laughs> yeah, no, this is not for you right now. No, 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 get out of there. I think that's like Chance's uh, motto for himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cadence attributes the reason why she gets along with Detective Bribois because she used to sell the antique detective novels, hence why she does do that nice little quote of Poirot and Sherlock Holmes. I thought this would be a cover story, though, but the fact that she does quote Poirot and Sherlock Holmes makes me feel like maybe it's true. I think she is a detective, and that was like a really clever front. Oh, like it's okay. a little fourth wally, but like in my mind, if we're gonna do like a full like, and this is the mystery revealed, Cadence is definitely a in an Omicron that has evolved and left the home world to figure out more information on the on Chance's family Hales, thank you. And I think she knows more than she's letting on. I think it was more than divine intervention that got them to meet on this particular bus. 
that she wanted to get invited. And this is just a cover for her as far as used to work at a bookstore. Could very well be. I'm not buying it. <laughs> so. Uh, I don't. I think that's probably a pretty good guess. I just don't know enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. I think she's definitely there for a reason. I want to say she's there because she is snooping on the hails, but I don't really have anything to like substantiate that claim. Like, I, I'm just not sure what else she would be doing. So. Yeah. All will be revealed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Truly. It's just hard because Cadence is very cagey about giving details about herself. She's been very reserved. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is the first thing that she's said about her past. On knee-jerk reaction, I don't want to believe it because she has been so withheld. Mm. Right. But. And then after we have this great interaction, she's like, Casey, later, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. I love how she just keeps doing that to Chance, though. Like, I think he thinks it's, like, some weird, like, mind game that's going on with her. Because he's like, I have to keep trying to, like, win her over. And she just keeps jumping off in the middle of conversations and being like, gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Other things to do. Yep. Yeah. So I don't think she is picking up on anything that he is laying down for her. and i don't think she really wants to either she's not interested in him clearly if she is an anima necron i don't know any kind of the mechanics of human anima necron romantic relationships but Mm -hmm. that could potentially be like why she's not interested and then again chance just gets really grumpy because he's rejected but he's not really rejected she just like leaves yeah Um, because she's excited about the mystery and i totally understand that (laughs) yeah she wants to go solve some like find some clues and solve some crime right like that sounds Sounds way way more interesting than hanging out with him (laughs) (laughs) as we continue there definitely are some little breadcrumb moments as i like to call it where he runs into desdemona and victoria and they're talking about how Victoria relays that she would never marry a widower without seeing the will first. And she's about to respond with something very interesting, but Chance arrives and that kind of squashes that moment. Yeah, I like how much Chance keeps coming into conversations like at inopportune times so he doesn't mm-hmm. hear everything or it's people stop trope. talking. I yeah. Like misheard details or like half heard information uh, is such an important part of murder mystery, but it's also a really important part of like putting together a puzzle and like witness like how much witnesses remember is always fairly inaccurate as well right yeah so I like that even though like we're getting it as chances experiencing it like he might not remember something correctly later and we're not sure if what's written on the page is exactly true or what chance thinks is true right yeah and then we get Chance's burning desires misappropriately translated onto Victoria (laughs) And might I say, brilliant writing on your part. When Anna and I were reading this, I was like, wow. I was like, you really got into a guy's head phenomenally. (laughs) He's gross. I don't support this at all. But like, wow, I was. It's like a real thing, though. Like, you totally know people who have those thoughts. And you're like, oh, what scumbags. But they're like real people. I was so impressed. I was like, wow. (laughs) This is so on brand for chance, but like also there's human beings that are like this. So yes, yeah, very brilliant. You're like, writing. well, I can't have the person I want, so 
I'll have the person that's closest. Yes. And it's like, that's totally not a okay thing to do to people. No. No. I think at least Victoria is distant <laughs> enough to where it's not going to hurt her. Like, thankfully, like she doesn't really seem to be interested in chance that much either. Mm-hmm. They're just conveniently located for one another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have just like yeah. a, such a sad relationship. Yeah. Like in some ways they are like perfect for each other, which is not great. No. That doesn't say a lot for either of them. No. <laughs> in my mind, I just call it the pity pact. We're like, <laughs> We're like, all right, I guess we'll do this because there's no one else. <laughs> yeah, it just feels yeah. so empty. Yes. Yeah. And then like the, I don't know if it was the last line of the, the chapter, but the one that like I think captured this moment is that um, Chance says, I needed to know that I was good enough for Victoria to find the confidence to try for the real prize at least one more time. He's totally fixated on Cadence, even though there's theft around him. They're all, I think, sort of on like, not house arrest, but they're not really allowed to leave the house. And Mm -hmm. he's not focused on any of the stuff that's going on around him at all. Yeah. Just nope. (laughs) <laughs> just totally what he wants literally and in it. our yeah. annotation notes for this it just caps we have scumbag <laughs> he is not a great guy no no <laughs> i yeah i'm just like really impressed that you were able to write from his perspective because he seems like the opposite of probably everything that you are and I hope so. Oh, absolutely. I'm assuming um, so. <laughs> you Robin, very, you're giving very us nice major chance vibes right now. <laughs> like, oh funny and friendly, and Chance is, like, stuck up and horrible. Yeah. I don't know if it was, like, cathartic to write, like, just, like, horrible things, or if he just was, like, a perfect uh, voice for the story, but I think it's interesting that you ended up picking somebody so different from yourself for yeah. your narrator. Well, I- I think it'll be interesting as you guys continue to go through the chapters because um, I've had people tell me, and this is not too much of a spoiler. Well, it's not really a spoiler at all. Okay. But that this is a, a zero to hero journey. Mm. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> and I'll be interested to see what how you're talking about Chance, is it, if it changes at all from the this first couple episodes to the last. Hmm. Um, I do love a good redemption arc. So. Yeah, I hope he gets better. Yeah. I don't think but I'm not. I'm not promising he will. <laughs> I'm not making that promise. But yeah, and it was. It honestly, it was kind of cathartic just to go all in on. You know, like people say, like villains are the most fun to play as actors. Yes, man. Sometimes it's just fun to go in on somebody who is just totally scummy on the inside, <laughs> and just be like. You know, I understand, you know, like I tried to give Chance some of those humanizing moments where it's like, you might understand why he ended up this way, but like, cool story. You're still a scumbag. Like, (laughs) you still don't have to be this way. Like, okay, your mom died. You have a really crap relationship with your dad. I get it. You don't have to exist in the world this way, though, bro. You had opportunities to change and you're just consistently choosing the low road versus the high road. Please stop. Right. Like it's an explanation, not an excuse. And he's using it exactly totally as his excuse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think he changes even just a little bit in chapter nine. Yeah. He's pretty unreactive to everything that happens. So chapter nine is finally when we get the murder, which this was grisly. Was way more gruesome than I was anticipating for like what was going on with all the characters. So that's what has been mm-hmm. throwing me off the most, trying to figure out who's the murderer. Because when they discover Felix, it's like messed up. <laughs> yeah. 
I love the layering that you do with this, where everyone's knocking on the door for Dr. Martin because obviously he wanted to check up on him, make sure he's doing well. Belinda probably heard the knocking and is kind of nosy, so she gets herself involved. Mm-hmm. And they can't get in. So the only way they can get in is through the crossway from Chance's room, which I'm sure for everyone else also that becomes suspect. But, you know, as Chance stumbles into the room and unlocks the door for Dr. Martin and Belinda to get in, it's heavy. Like, Felix's head is bashed in. Somehow his face is peeled off. That is extremely personal. That also, like, I'm assuming would take a long time. Like, it's not like someone ran in and was like, "Uh uh-oh, Felix caught me stealing the necklace. Like, I'll shoot him and then run away. Like, this was very prolonged, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And then also, all of his limbs are broken and there's, like, bones sticking out. So I'm assuming it had to be somebody very strong as well, which makes me, like, less suspicious of Minerva and probably Victoria also, because I think... Minerva's always seen as sickly, and Victoria, I think, just seems like she just lounges around and looks beautiful all the time, so I I don't know how much, like, muscle power she's got behind her. It's hard to see Victoria really getting her hands quite that messy. Yeah, she said she wouldn't even even climb a tree, so I can't imagine she would do this. Secretly wicked strong. (laughs) (laughs) She's just been working out all the time. (laughs) She's a Pilates master or something. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, it seems really personal and detailed and very bizarre like if you bash someone's head in they're dead why do you then also need to peel off all of the skin on their face or if you break all of their limbs why do you need to bash their head like why is there so much going on (laughs) why did somebody do this (laughs) that has so far been like the most perplexing element i think of this because you gave everyone motive you added the element of the necklace but then this is really feels like out of left field, like the methodology of the murder. Yeah. Yeah. Like to jump ahead a little bit, the inspector says that the murder weapon is a book and I am not convinced by that one at all. I think that (laughs) book is a fake murder weapon. All, even if it was a hardcover, (laughs) there's no way there's no way. Oh, he did it with a paperback. <laughs> what? Someone was just really pissed off. <laughs> like, yeah, right? You gotta really hulk out to do that. Yeah, I'm not buying that. I think it was used after the fact to make it look like a murder weapon, but... I mean, even if it was used to, like, hit his head, you can't peel skin off with a book. Like, there's gotta be other... There has to be something else Other involved, things, right? yeah. There's I mean, gotta that's be other one hell of a paper cut. Like... <laughs> 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 A really sharp, like the gilded edged papers. Yeah. Right? Know, like, yeah. <laughs> Just like turning the pages in front of his face. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. Awful. All right, I'm done. All right, that's enough from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's super intense. Chance and everyone sort of like get rushed out. They don't want everyone to see Felix in this way. I think also small detail, he was still wearing his suit from the night before. He didn't go to bed, clearly. Right. Like he, I think he was up late working on the will because he went to the library after dinner. But he didn't like go to sleep and then get murdered. I'll just put that in my back pocket for now. <laughs> but I think this is sort of the first time that Chance is not focused on himself. He definitely is in a bit of shock. There's a great line you wrote where it says... Like a drunken man coming out of an alcoholic stupor, I became aware of my surroundings by slow degrees. The minutes passed like hours. I waited for some emotion, any emotion, 
to sweep over me and fill the gaping hole that sucked at my chest. But there was nothing. At least there's not selfishness in this moment. Yeah, it's not like I'm free of my father or, you know, what's going to become of me and the company. Yeah, I know that, like, nothing isn't the best reaction, but it's better than some of the things that I could have seen Chance saying or thinking or feeling in Mm -hmm. this moment. I'm hoping that this is a bit of a turning point for him. Yeah. I think being out from under his father's thumb and having to step up and be responsible and accountable might make him change a little bit for the better. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we, we will see. We shall see. For him, yes. Completely expectedly, though, Victoria is being real piece of work in this moment. <laughs> Completely inappropriate, like complaining, saying that like, oh, you know, I had to sleep next to that. And then also realize that she has revealed then that she was not in her own room. So she's kind of like self-incriminating. Yeah, she's just being really nasty. Uh, and Minerva does the perfect mystery trope of get a hold of yourself slap. Oh, <laughs> I was very much here for it. Yeah, I was team Minerva <laughs> in this moment. I've been suspicious of her before, but like, thankfully, somebody, someone had to say it, right? <laughs> yeah. These people are just... Everyone's reacting different. They definitely are. Uh, Cadence gets nervous again that the EO are coming up the driveway. Something's afoot. Yeah, she's got... Again, I think everybody has something to hide. I don't think they're all necessarily related to the murder. So I think Cadence is totally... Obviously, because she's the detective, I don't think she did the murder. But I think she does have secrets about her past that she is hiding. Mm. For some reason, she just starts to offer everyone a drink in the room. So I think she's just trying to like be busy or something to make people less nervous. Mm -hmm. And then I think there was a line that you had written here that you really liked. Yes. Her dark blue eyes stared into mine with no concern or pity that I could find. There was just the slightest wrinkling of her forehead in a set to her jaw, which conveyed a freely offered affection that washed over me like seawater over a wound, cooling and stinging all at the same time. I really like that description. Yeah. That's very good. Just poetic and nice. Also interesting that she doesn't have concern or pity, I think, because I'm now convinced that she is an anima necron or a robot. I don't think she knows what death is or, like, has any kind of, like, processing process about, like, thoughts about death. So I don't think she Mm -hmm. knows how to react, which is why she's, like, trying to do something, which is give everybody a drink. Yeah. Is my best. That's my best guess. Yeah, we I, shall see. I hope. We shall see. I hope soon we get confirmation on Cadence's situation. <laughs> yeah, and with this chapter finishing with Chance asking, "Who could have done this?" So he's finally kind of in this for the first time. Where with the necklace, he was like, "Whatever," but with this, he definitely is yearning for answers. And so this makes us now think whoever stole the necklace is likely the murderer. Or that at least one of them is the murderer and one of them is a thief? Are they working together? Are they acting independently? But now everyone's kind of looking around the room realizing it's likely one of them. And that's where you made us leave off, which is a great cliffhanger. (laughs) Yeah, I know. A lot of self-control not to keep reading. Oh, it's hard. (laughs) Ah, It's really fun when we don't read ahead, though, because now we can make some more incorrect predictions. I love that. That's my favorite. (laughs) I made my list of predictions. Obviously, last time I was clearly wrong on a lot of mine. So I'm interested to see if I've made any better guesses this time. But my current theories are, I've talked about Cadence. I think she's definitely running from the law for being an anima necron or a detective. 
spying on the Hales, but I think she is trying to avoid being investigated by the EO. I think Henry stole the necklace and it's completely unconnected to the murder. I don't think he knew that the murder was going to happen. And I think he, like I said before, used the trees outside of his room to leave the house and take it back to his own house in the night and then slip back in. And then I, for some reason, I'm thinking that Solomon and Minerva are working together on the murder, but I really think Minerva's just there kind of egging Solomon on. And I think Solomon Ooh. is the murderer. Ooh. So kind of a Macbeth, Lady Macbeth yeah. kind of situation. Yeah, they've got some kind of weird like dynamic going on where she's like sort of the mastermind, but I don't think she actually killed him because like I said, I if she is as sickly as she is, I don't think she could have done what happened to Felix. But I think Solomon's got some motive because Felix keeps rejecting him on his work. Solomon is the only person, I think, who knew that he was changing the will and potentially what was in it. Mm-hmm. And Felix has just been kind of saying like weird stuff about the Anima Necrons and like wanting to wipe them out and how it's like the only smear on Halcyon Enterprises. I think at one point he said like sterling reputation yeah. or something. So I think there's something kind of weird going on with like Solomon working for him and the dynamic there. And then the night of the murder, those two went to bed early. I, it was specifically noted. They were off screen for quite a while and we don't know what they were up to. Mm. Assuming that they didn't just go to sleep. Sketchy. <laughs> Which is what they said. So that's my current set of yeah. predictions. For me, I still don't trust Minerva. <laughs> I'll say it before, I'll say it again. The illness is a front. I think she stole the necklace, but did not kill Felix. I do think, however, Minerva stole the necklace, but the EO will find the necklace in Belinda's room as like a setup. Oh, like I, that dynamic. I, yeah. I think it'll get all the characters yeah. really sucked in, mm-hmm. too, if someone's, like, framing somebody else. Yeah. I do think that Felix was writing Chance out of the will and setting Desdemona to inherit. And now that he's dead, she's going to inherit. I think some people will then second-guess Desdemona's relationship a bit. I think, I think our predictions are like what's going to happen in the long term. I think for like my predictions of what's going to happen in this next couple of chapters are that Desdemona and Chance are going to be the ones who are under the most suspicion. Chance because it's his dad and he theoretically is set to inherit from what I think people would expect and also because of the connecting rooms. Mm. And then Desdemona because if the will was changed, now she's set to inherit. So I think both of them are going to be in some hot water with everybody yeah. else. They're definitely bound to have that reveal conversation at some point of like, we've just misunderstood each other the whole time. We have a lot more in common than you think. And I think they'll be at a certain point where they might even understand and even appreciate one another. Desdemona and Chance? Yeah. I think there could be that whole like, I was wrong about you, but we'll see. Oh. Yeah. I missed yeah. That would be a good scene. I think that would be interesting. So We'll see. I don't know. But I think things that we're definitely wondering, like, one, why was Felix killed so brutally? Yeah. That's a big confusion for me. Two, Mm -hmm. where is the necklace? Because we still don't have any kind of development on the necklace investigation. Three, where are the other or real murder weapons? Because that book does not seem likely, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And then four, was the will officially changed? And if so, where is it? And will we find it? Or has it been destroyed? Ooh. 
I didn't even consider it potentially <laughs> being questions. destroyed. Yeah, so those are things that I'm definitely going to be looking for in the next few episodes or next few chapters. But I like the way that everything's progressing. Like there's with each sort of like answer we get or like a little bit more detail about the characters, more questions open up and like the actual murder mystery now combined with the necklace theft has like blown wide open. So I think the possibilities feel pretty endless at the moment. Yeah. Yes. So So I'm really glad we were able to get this section of chapters and end on such a heavy cliffhanger. I'm just enjoying the ride. It's been great. <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. It's been really fun. From your perspective, since our some of our predictions last time were like way, way off, is that I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. probably pretty fun for you as oh yeah, <laughs> as the author. I, I love was gonna it. say, was there anything that we said in our predictions for last time that now we have the answers to that you wanted to comment on how how we'd made our predictions and whether or not they were right or wrong? Well, the thing I keep thinking about is like, I really kind of wish I'd made Desdemona pregnant. That would have been interesting. <laughs> like that was a twist that I didn't, I was like, oh, how would that have changed things? Like that <laughs> would have been really interesting. Instead, she's just kind of like a, you know, wilting flower is kind of her thing. She's just, you know, like gets a lot of headaches and she just can't handle all this pressure. That's kind of more her thing. Yeah. But I really like the idea of like there actually being like a medical reason why she can't be up and about as much as she wants to be and I'm like, that would be really cool i really oh. like that i really liked all your 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 initial impressions of everybody i thought that was really <laughs> fun and i commend your instinct to trust no one yeah yeah i think that, <laughs> i know i've read more yes. like mysteries than you have so i just i have to look at everyone with some side eye because mm-hmm. i know yeah. that there's got to be more than one secret that's being withheld right now by mm-hmm. characters so it's not just straightforward as like, oh, there's a murder and we're looking for a murder. Like there's, there's a lot more usually to a, a mystery that makes yes. it so rich. So I'm, I'm not trusting anyone still. <laughs> good, good, good instinct. Keep that up. It also just makes it more fun when you can be like, oh, well, what does that mean about this person? And what if they're trying to hide this? And I like, I like that you caught that Henry kind of had an imperfect moment out of his perfection because I was kind of, when I was writing him, I was like, ah, is he too perfect? Like, I don't want him to be like the perfect man, the perfect friend. I'm like, no, like he is human. Like the rest of them, he has to have foibles. And like, maybe this is his one thing is that he's just too, too obsessed with history and his studies and everything to really be rational all the time. Maybe that's his thing. I think that fits really well with his character yeah. and like the way you've set him up as a philosopher. I think he, as a person is running into like, the conundrum of like ethics versus reality and like how those actually play out. So I'm assuming that he's going to kind of bump into that a few more times as the story progresses too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny where you and I contrast a lot when it comes to stories where I think a lot of times I'm very character driven and you were plot driven. Oh yeah. (laughs) So with this story, I'm enjoying the ride a lot. I kept being finding myself, challenged by who to root for so to speak because mm-hmm. everyone has their own quirks and flaws and everything else so i'm like okay i need to, i i'm like waiting to see if there's like somebody that really is my savior for the plot yeah. so to speak but, um, <laughs> like wins your heart fully yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think they're all very well written characters but right now i don't trust any of them <laughs> <laughs> once again good instinct this is a murder mystery you probably shouldn't trust 
anybody. Yeah, I had to remind you of like the Knives Out movies because I was like, remember how all those characters are horrible seeming people? But the plot is good and the movie's good. Um, yeah. So like you got to ride it through. Yeah. You shouldn't always be rooting for people in mysteries, I think. I think no, that's what yeah. makes the betrayal hurt that much more, though. <laughs> like as yeah. a reader, when you get gutted, you're like, I trusted you. Yeah. Like, no, we, we were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. Yeah. You let us <laughs> yeah. down. You let us down. My imaginary friend is having hardships. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, so I think that kind of sums up our predictions and our questions. I really love the dialogue that you've been doing, so I was glad we got to talk to you about how you create your dialogue because it seems like it's pretty opposite of every other author we've talked to who are like, dialogue's so difficult, we struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's my joy. I, if I could just write only dialogue and no description, I would, but that's called a screenplay, and even then, screenplays do have description, so I'm stuck. So. <laughs> well i like the descriptions too like you're oh, thank you we brought up like so many of your metaphors and similes that you put in i think are really unique and they are very pleasant to read yeah like i think i feel like i just know exactly what you're talking about like the one where like seawater was like soothing but stinging i was like oh i know exactly what that feels like yeah they're helping build the story but it's never like too many of them like it feels like it's just the right amount and they say a lot by saying a little i think Yes. Yeah, that's what I aim for. So success. You did Yay. it. <laughs> so yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I'm excited next time to see kind of how Chance maybe steps up to the plate a little bit, how Cadence does pretending to be a detective or actually being a detective. We're going to find out. And then, you know, the, the investigation is going to start coming and like being underway. So yeah. yeah, I'm excited to see how Bribois has his like aha Eureka moment in Ooh. like compiles ever in the room and potentially does like a classic i think cadence is gonna be the one to like reveal yeah i think he's gonna do it and it should be like step aside it was actually excuse me oh that'll be great okay we'll see we'll see (laughs) that'll be really good yeah so i think the next episode is chapters 10 through 14 correct yes thanks listeners if you're looking for more check us out at fantasticbookspod.com we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks. Golden Rise Media.